after we get a bunch of people on that. Okay, open up your Bibles. We're in Luke chapter 5. Uh, I just can't stand being away from this place. Uh, I did go to a church in Nashville, but um, it's just really, really uh, not my favorite thing at all to be away from you. So I'm happy to be here again. Uh, the problem with me uh, being gone for a week is the next week I just have twice as much to say. And... I realize, like, no one wants to sit in an hour-long sermon, so I, I see that it's 11, we can go to 11.30. God has provided somehow stretch time to where we are going to be able to do this in the time that we feel like we're supposed to do it. So here we go. Uh, verse 17. <clears throat> one day, Jesus was teaching. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they were sitting there. So Jesus is teaching, and they're sitting. They had come from every village in Galilee. They come from Judea. They come from Jerusalem. And look at this, church. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to what? Yeah, the power of the Lord was with him to heal the sick. Now, some men, they were carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and they tried to take him to the house, lay him before Jesus. But they couldn't find a way in, right? Because it's too crowded. There, there's this crowd. So they go up. Where do they go? They go up onto... Uh, Onto a roof, and they lower him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus sees their faith, he says, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Verse 21. Pharisees and the teachers of the law begin to think to themselves, Man, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to that paralyzed man that was lying on that mat, he says, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Isn't it interesting? He tells him to go home. Like, well, why does he have to go home? Anyways, verse 25. Immediately he stood up in front of them. He took what he was lying on on that mat and he went home. He obeyed Jesus and he went home. What was he doing while he was going home? He was praising God. And everyone there, they're just amazed. And they begin to praise God. They are filled with awe and they say, we have seen remarkable things Today. All right, so we do have notes today that should be in your bulletin. I'd love to pass out some extra notes to, to the people. So uh, if we could grab those, Jeremy, uh, the notes. And then if you need notes or a pen, raise your hand really high, and we'll make sure to get it to you. You'll want to write down some stuff today. I have three pens if anyone needs a pen. Anyone need a pen? Okay, you'll take it. I'm not going to throw it because this is being recorded and... Wait, you want to try? <laughs> She's like protecting herself in the back. Anyone else need some pens? I'm not that good at the pen throwing. You guys know that. You're like, yeah. <laughs> Remember the peanut guy at Kingdom? Remember that? You just bought peanuts just to make him throw them. All right, let's make sure we got everybody. Thanks, you guys. All right. Well, it's such a familiar passage, right? And remember this one in preschool or you remember this one in uh, Sunday school, right? The, the man, um, uh, paralyzed man getting through the roof. Anyone else think that was really cool as a kid? This story, like, man, like this is awesome and Jesus is awesome. And there it is. It says, verse 17, Jesus, he's teaching the, the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. They're all sitting down and then everyone's come. Like, this is a big deal. Wouldn't that be neat if everyone came from all over the place, came to hear because they're like, oh, Jesus is there. 
Wouldn't that be cool? Come on, church. Anyone else get it? Just like how cool that would be. I mean, you got to come over here because Jesus is that. Jesus is teaching. Jesus is moving. Jesus, the power of Jesus is there. Jesus is healing. Like you, you got to get over there because Jesus is there. So they come from everywhere. And then it's so important, like we already uh, have seen just again and again in Luke. But Luke makes the point that Jesus had the power of the Lord to heal the sick. And these guys, they carry in the paralyzed man, verse 18 on a map. Can't find a way to get into the house. So what do you do? You, you can't get into the house. What are you going to do? Well, they go up on the roof. They remove some of the tiles. They plop them in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And then we know he's healed. Praise the Lord. And man, for the last couple of months and all these sermons, there's a lot of healings going on. And, and he says his sins are forgiven. And he walks away with a map. It's a great story. Can we just agree that this is a great story? It's a great story. But it's also a familiar story. Familiar story. Familiar story. Now, but this is why the Bible is so good. And this is why I love the Bible. That's why I always get excited when I come across the familiar, well-known stories. Because they are familiar, and yet they are also new. They are familiar, but they're also new. Let me explain that a little bit further. They're familiar in the best of ways, right? Like when you see an old friend, like the opportunity I had in Nashville to see familiar faces from around the world, people I hadn't seen for a while, you light up, right? You're encouraged, you're excited, you're like, oh man, you give them a big hug. It's like this passage, a familiar passage, right? Oh, I love this one. This is when, you know, Jesus heals the paralyzed man. I just love this one. And yet every time though familiar, this is what I love about the daily reading plan, by the way, please sign up for that. It is beyond powerful. But even though it's familiar, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's also new. There is always something new. Any Bible readers in here, have you noticed that? That when you read the Bible, there is always something new? Right? You, you read the Bible and you're like, whoa. Like, where was that? It totally happened in this uh, verse 20. Go ahead and put verse 20 up on the screen. This has happened to me this week. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith. He said, friends, your sins are forgiven. And maybe you're like, well, what's the big deal, Pastor Dan? Well, you need to know, as quickly as I read that verse this week, a new thought came to mind. Jesus forgives the man of his sins before he or his friends say a single word. I'd never seen that before. So he doesn't forgive them because of their words, right? Because of the eloquence of their speech, but instead because of their faith. He, he wasn't looking for a speech. He wasn't looking for some fancy or religious sounding words. You ever been around the person that's really good at speaking the religious sounding words? He wasn't looking for that. What was he looking for? He was looking for faith. Everyone say faith. He was looking for faith, and I believe this truth is going to encourage some of you this morning because, see, there are those of you in this room right now that you've, you've seen the preacher on TV or you've seen the pastor up on stage, you've seen the evangelist in the, in the streets, and you're like, no way. I am never, 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 ever doing that. Right? And you, you don't have to raise your hands on that one. But the thought of public speaking, a fear of public speaking. My, my dad grew up with a fear of public speaking. My brother Doug grew up with a, a horrendous fear of public speaking. I mean, just the idea of speaking to others where everyone else is watching you and listening to you, it just terrifies you. In fact, me just talking about it right now, your heartbeat is racing, right? Your palms are sweating. In fact, there is an anxiety and fear that in this moment I might call on you. You already have your exit strategy planned. And I think the Lord wants to encourage you today. This whole Jesus following thing, it isn't as much about what you say as it is about what you do. Don't ever forget that. It's not words. 
not words. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. Church, it's not just a bunch of words. Have you ever heard someone talk and you're like, I hear what you're saying, but I just talked to your kid the other day. I don't know what you're saying really lines up with what you're doing. And you don't really care what they have to say, do you? Now, is speaking important? Is what you share about Jesus important? Absolutely. Especially when you're talking about what the Lord has done, when you're talking about giving testimony of what He's doing in your life. I mean, don't be afraid, right? There's a boldness that needs to come by the power of the Holy Spirit to stand up, to speak the good news of Jesus. In fact, I was watching a program the other day. I couldn't sleep. It was like 2, 3 in the morning. And they had this program on the Brooklyn Tabernacle. You ever heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle? And Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, by the way. Great book. Read that. But this lady's life was radically transformed while she was attending that church. And the people around her uh, that were in her life on the streets, they began to take notice. And one person who was really struggling with drugs asked her what drug she was on. And, and that's so funny because I can't tell you how many times I've been asked that same question. Pastor Dan, what are you on? <clears throat> and she was able to tell her, I'm not on anything, but I met Jesus. I've met Jesus. She told this lady about how Jesus had changed her life. And as Laura preached uh, about a month ago, uh, we need to be ready to share the good news of Jesus, to tell about what Jesus has done. I'm not discounting any of that. It's a huge part of being a disciple of Christ. But hopefully we also understand that faith, that walking out our faith in a way that actually shows the living power of God in our lives, it is much more about our actions than our words. In fact, if there are any young people here today who are struggling with lying, so you're, you're saying one thing, but you're doing another, or, or you, your actions don't line up with your words, this is the scary part about that. Then your words really don't mean anything. Your words have become empty. No one is going to believe you. That lady from Brooklyn, think about it. Her words about Jesus, if, if the people around her wouldn't have first seen that true transformation in her actions, true transformation in the way that she actually lived, her words about Jesus would have been powerless. The word of her testimony, it was powerful because what? Because it backed up not only what people heard from her, but what people saw in her. Are you tracking with me? Does that make sense? It's so important. We've got to remember, Jesus cares about what we do. Your actions matter to God. He sees it all, by the way. You're not hiding anything from Him. It, it matters to Him. And as followers of Jesus, we've got to think about our actions. One, one way to think about all this, to process this, is just, are my actions, the way that I'm choosing to live, is it a life of faith? Not just my words. Again, you can be very churchy and sound really full of faith. But not just your words, but is my action, is the way I am living, is it a life that's full of faith? If someone stopped you in a hallway at school, would that person be able to see your faith in Jesus? Again, if you're in high school or college and someone stopped you in the hallway, would that person be able to see your faith in Jesus? someone stopped you, maybe in the mall, if, if you're driving on the interstate or you're shopping at Safeway or you're working at your job, would someone be able to see your faith in Christ and how you're living? Because these men, when the room was full, 
They could have griped, right? They could have grumbled, complained. They could have gotten mad, left, discouraged, dejected, given up. They could have let the circumstances of life just keep them from receiving that touch from Jesus. You ever done that before, where you let circumstances dictate your faith? Maybe in that school, maybe at that employment, maybe on Interstate 5, you let circumstances dictate what people see in and through you. And yet, when the circumstances aren't going your way, Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that is when we rise up in faith. And this scene, again, this story, I mean, I'd love to see how that went down. Like, whose idea was it? Like, one guy's like, oh, man, can't get in. Too crowded. The other guy's like, I know a way. It's going to be a little messy. Not sure the owner of the house is going to like it. But it'll work. (laughs) It'll work. And isn't it great that after they execute this plan of putting a hole in the house, Jesus' response right away, what is his response? He says, your sins are forgiven. It's powerful. Before they even say a word, Jesus is like, I see you. I see you. I see your faith, and you are forgiven. What does that look like in your own life? I really want you to think about that. What does that look like in your own life? Where do you need to rise up and be bold in your faith? Again, if there's any younger people here, you are conflicted in this area. I get it because you're learning how to rise up in your faith. It's hard. A lot of the experiences that you're having are new and it's kind of scary. But where do you need to rise up? Where do you need to just rise? And I get it. The circumstances are tough. They're hard. They're challenging. They might even be intimidating. But where do you need to rise up in faith? Where do you need it? And every one of us, young or old, we're all going to have different answers to that question. But here's one area. I'll, I'll give you one. Maybe write this down where, where we can all grow and be emboldened in our faith. You want to live boldly? Let me give you a suggestion. Before you leave on Sunday mornings, make sure you do the bold thing of faith of asking for prayer. Ask for prayer. And it could be up front. You know, we have the prayer team up front. It doesn't have to be, though, right? Could be the person next to you on your left or on your right, or maybe someone in the lobby or someone in the parking lot. You know, I, I don't think we would ever want to force prayer on you, but I, I think I mean just with how hard life is, how challenging a seven-day week can be. I don't think it would be wise for any of us to leave without someone praying for us, because just like these guys needed a touch from Jesus, right? This guy on the mat needed a touch from Jesus. Guess who else needs a touch from Jesus? Come on, church. I need a touch from the Lord. And think, of, think about it this way. I mean, can you imagine the atmosphere, the environment of life spring, how the spiritual environment would even begin to shift and begin to change if all of a sudden all of us began to step out in this kind of faith and began to pray for one another like never before? Can you imagine how things might change? I think it's hard sometimes I don't know about you, but we've had bad experiences when people pray for us. You ever have a bad experience when someone pray for you? I'll give you a story of uh, my own experience. I went, uh, I worked in a church in Spokane for six years, and I wanted to model what it looked like to go down for prayer, because not a lot of people went down for prayer. So I went down there, and I had a cold, just like today. And so I was like, yeah, I'll just have this lady pray for my, my cold. And the first thing the lady said to me, who was praying for me, is, can you tell me what sins you need to repent of? I mean, and I felt, I was so discouraged. I mean, can you imagine? Just like, 
oh, I mean, I felt bad. I was sick. I, I wanted a touch from Jesus, and here she's trying to get me to confess my sins. And I mean, biblically, who knows if she even did anything wrong. I'm sure I had plenty of sins that I could have confessed. Um, and, and confessing sins is a good thing, right? But I can tell you this, and maybe you've been there before, I never wanted to go up for prayer again. And I actually didn't for a long time. Years. But you read stories like this story uh, today and, and that man being laid down through the ceiling. And I think it's the ultimate example of coming forward for prayer, right? Like through the roof. Through the roof. And I, I'm reminded that you don't let anything, you don't let anyone keep you from receiving a miraculous touch from Jesus. Amen? You don't let anything or anyone keep you from receiving a miraculous touch from Jesus. And so even though, yeah, I let that bad experience keep me away for a little bit, eventually I started asking people to pray for me again. So much so that if I am at a conference or a convention where people are praying for people, you will almost always see me getting prayer. And by the way, that's just a little tidbit for you for free. The next time you go to a, like a, a church convention or, or something like that, go down front, receive prayer. You don't know any of the people anyways. Just get down there and receive prayer. But at the Foursquare Convention, at least once, I'm gonna, you're going to see me down there at the front of the stage receiving prayer. All right? No way. I'm not leaving a room full of, there was like 4,000 Holy Spirit-filled Pentecostals in that room. No way I am leaving that gathering without receiving a touch from the Lord through their prayers. But you've got to be bold, don't you? Right? God doesn't like force you to go. You've got to be bold. You've got to take that step. You've got to be bold in your actions, bold in your faith. Mary and I, last year, we went down front, and they weren't even having a prayer time. But I felt like the Lord asked us to go down. I said, hey, Mary, would you go down front with me? I feel like we're supposed to receive prayer. And she was like, yeah, I'll go down. So we just stood up there, and we didn't even look for anyone. We just closed our eyes, and these two men, amazing time of prayer. These two men came behind us, and they just began to speak over us in tongues and prophesy over us. It was an amazing, an amazing time. This year, before the conference even started, Mary and I went to a church Sunday morning in Franklin, Tennessee. You ever been to Franklin, Tennessee? It was actually a pretty cool town. But at the end, the pastor, and it was a church about our size. And at the end, the pastor asked if uh, people would come down for prayer. And they, I think they had like eight people up here available, available for prayer. But as is typical in a church, guess who came? Like no one, right? No one came. Actually, one person came forward for prayer. But then it was really interesting. The Lord began to stir my heart. And I remember this older lady who was greeting us at the front door. This older lady was now up front. And I knew she was supposed to pray for me. I actually have a picture of me with them. Unfortunately, my big head shadow is blocking her face. But these two ladies uh, prayed for me. And so I went down. And again, I don't know anyone at this church. And, and I went down. And she was, they were standing right here. And, and I just said, my name is Dan. That's all I said. I didn't say what was wrong. I didn't say how I needed prayer. I just said, my name is Dan. And the older lady there, she put her hand on my belly and she says, out of you is a river of living water. The Holy Spirit is rushing out of your belly. And then she takes her two fingers, puts them on my lips. She says, in your mouth, the words that you speak bring life. The words that you speak uh, break strongholds and bring freedom wherever you go. And then she goes, she goes I want to touch your feet. And I was like, okay, and I had flip-flops on, but she couldn't get down far enough to touch the feet. But she didn't give up, so she sat in the chair, and she said, put your feet on my lap. And so I put this one up, and she just says, 
Beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Your feet, where you go, uh, brings freedom. Uh, the, the light comes into the darkness, and the darkness has to flee. And then she's like, now the other foot. Okay. And then the other lady says, your hands. And she starts holding my hands. She goes, your hands are gentle. She goes, your hands aren't harsh. Your hands, are, your hands show to people the love of God. How you use your hands, your hands are showing the character and nature of God to people. That he is not a harsh God, but he is a loving and kind and compassionate God. Amen. And I, all I had said was, Dan. And then I almost said, Dan. <laughs> it was amazing and I did tell him I go hey you guys just need to know I'm a pastor in the Seattle area and your prayer for me is just amazing and then and then she like when she found that out then like the roof went out she's like oh, no, I say that. it was just going for it it was it was awesome awesome but be bold right be bold and that kind of stuff is intimidating by the way I was really intimidated just going to that church uh, it was, I hadn't been there. I didn't know anyone. I was getting nervous. I was kind of sweaty palms. Uh, We've got to remember that. When someone walks in that's new, like, it's an intimidating experience. I asked, like, where's the bathroom? Where do we check in our kids? All those things. But there was just this thing within us that you had to be bold. You had to walk forward. You had to push through even that awkwardness and that fear and just say, no, I am going to receive a touch from Jesus. Amen? Amen. So be bold. Receive that touch from the Lord. And again, and this is for everybody, again, if speaking terrifies you, I want to encourage you. Jesus, and you might want to write this down, Jesus healed him not because of their words, but because of their actions that were full of faith. Live full of faith. Take that step of faith and be radically changed by Christ. All right, so again, before they even say a word, he sees their faith, says, friends, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to say, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy, who can forgive sins but God alone? By the way, this is actually why they end up killing Jesus, right? We read about that crucifixion of Jesus actually last week in our daily reading plan. They, they kill him not so much because of the good things he did or because he was nice to people, but they killed him because he claimed to be God. And to them, claiming to be God, what is that? That is blasphemy. And blasphemy is worthy of death. Kevin DeYoung describes it this way. He said, what infuriated the establishment most were the claims to lordship. The posture of authority, the exalted titles, the exercise of messiahship, the presumed right to forgive, the way in which Jesus put himself in the center of Israel's story, the delusions of grandeur, the acceptance of worship, and the audacity of a man being God. He died because he acted like the incarnate Son of God, spoke like the incarnate Son of God, and he did not deny the accusation when the world hated him for being the incarnate Son of God. And it's interesting, isn't it, that they killed him for blasphemy, for his claim to be God. But church, this is an easy answer, was it blasphemy? No, not at all. He was God. He is God. And yet in this story today, they begin to accuse him of blasphemy. So they're riled up. They're upset that Jesus says that the man's sins are forgiven, right? No, who could forgive sins except God and God alone? And Jesus knows what they're thinking. So verse 22, he says, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he goes to the paralyzed man. He says, I tell you, you get up, take your mat, go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, went home, praising God. Everyone's amazed. Everyone gives the praise to God. They are filled with awe, and they say, we have seen remarkable things today. 
Now, there's a couple of words in that last passage, 22 through uh, 26, that you might recognize from previous sermons uh, over the last couple of months. If you missed any of the sermons, go back, listen to them, um, let them encourage you. But one is that Jesus says the Son of Man has authority. You guys remember that word? Authority? Exousia, right? Which I, I said it meant that Jesus had the right, but he also had the might to do it. Right? So he had the right to forgive sins, but he also had the power, the might to forgive sins. He had the right to heal this man. Does Jesus have the right to heal this man? Absolutely. But he also had the might. He had the backing. He had the power to heal this man. And when he heals the man of this paralysis, much like we have seen already, Jesus exercises his authority. And verse 25 says, immediately the man stood up. That word, we've seen that before, right? Immediately. Immediately, we see it again and again, when Jesus uses his authority, immediately this man gets up, picks up his mat, and goes home praising God. Now the response of the people, how are the people responding? Their response is to be amazed. Have you ever been amazed by Jesus? Have you ever gone home just praising God? I know I have. When my back was healed of those two herniated discs, I couldn't stop crying the whole time I'm driving from the Spokane Convention Center to my house. I'm just amazed by the Lord. And so they're praising God. They're filled with awe. And they say, we have seen remarkable things today. They're amazed. And, and they should be amazed. But we also know, as you continue to read the Bible, that many of those religious leaders that are there, instead of being amazed, are they amazed? No, they're not amazed at all. Instead, they're wondering, they're thinking, how can we get rid of this guy? How can we get rid of Jesus? And I've asked this question so many times in the series, and yet I think it's a focal part point of our series so far is this are you amazed by jesus are you amazed by jesus would your actions would your words show to the world around you amazement are you in awe of jesus because again i think jesus this is so important i think jesus can do something right here in our midst like in this place he can do something miraculous supernatural and yet one person can stand here amazed while the other person can't wait to leave. They're so ready to walk out those doors. And you can almost feel, maybe you felt this before, that spiritual tension in a room like this. You ever felt that before? Between the people who are amazed by Jesus compared to those who are unimpressed. As a leader in the church now for the last 15 years, I feel it all the time. How about you? How about you? What is your response? What is your response? What is your action? What are your words? How are you responding to the supernatural, miraculous move of Jesus in front of you. This is so important. I tell you, if you start living amazed by Jesus today, 10 years from now, watch out. Watch out the fruit that will be a part of your life as people begin to just see Jesus, begin to see the awe and wonder and beauty and power of Jesus all through you as you stand there amazed. But at that conference, by the way, one of the main things the Lord told me is just keep your heart from being bitter. Keep your heart from being hard. Just be amazed in me, Dan. Dan, he just kept on speaking, not ignorance, but innocence. Just, Dan, be innocent before me. Dan, just as a child before me, just stand before me and worship me. Worship me as my son. Worship me. It was just to be amazed because too many leaders are way too smart up in the head. And the smarts and the knowledge just get you to be kind of bitter and argumentative and hard. But the Lord says, no, 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 be amazed by me. Who are the ones that weren't amazed? They're the ones who knew the most scriptures. You ever think about that? The Pharisees, the religious leaders. You stand in innocence. 
and be amazed and in awe. And so that's what we're going to do with the rest of our time. I want to give us an opportunity to reflect on, on what we've seen Jesus do in our lives, in our own lives and the lives of those around us. Because just like those people, they saw Jesus heal and deliver and set free. What have you seen Jesus do in your life? What have you seen Jesus do in other people's lives? Because if I'm honest, if I look back at the last 20 years of my life, this is one of the greatest areas where God has truly changed me. Again, I was at that convention worshiping the Lord during those sessions, and I was just thinking, I have grown so much in this area. I am in awe. I am in wonder of the Lord. Where I used to just kind of grumble and complain and gripe, I am, there's a thankful, praise the Lord by His grace, but there's a thankfulness that has grown in me. There's a joy that has been developed in me, a wonder that has been developed in me. And yet, in so many ways, life is harder for me now than it ever was 20 years ago. You ever think about that? Like, in no way has life gotten easier for me, and yet my spirit has radically transformed to be able to praise the Lord in all circumstances. Why? Because He has done remarkable things. He has done great things. So, Ryan, I'm going to ask you to come on up, and we just want to create some space for amazement. Create an atmosphere for awe. Awe of who Jesus is. And that, that awe and that amazement and wonder would grow in our hearts. Because I think we're all in danger of allowing our hearts to grow cold. I was listening to Warren Wordsby the other day because he passed away a couple of years, uh, a couple of weeks ago, a uh, Baptist theologian, and, and in his talk he was he was talking a little bit older, and he goes, the the most dangerous thing being older is having your heart grow bitter. It's almost like a "What have you done for me lately?" syndrome, where we can lose the awe, the wonder. The amazement of Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. So, again, just use this time to be quiet before the Lord. But also, I really wanted you to have notes because I want you to write down the things that you've seen Jesus do. I want you to write down. I just want you to jot down. Take that bold step of faith. Write down what you've seen Jesus do. And while he sings this song, just let faith arise. Let amazement arise. Write down what the Lord has done. And then this next step is so important. I want you to look at what you've written. And then I want you to just begin to thank him and praise him for what you wrote down. That uh, we would develop, we would cultivate a spirit of thankfulness, a spirit of praise. That we would thank him for what he has done. Maybe even just begin to pray to him. Maybe ask him for bold faith. Maybe ask him to give you opportunities to share even what he has done in your life. Share it with other people. By the way, if you can't think of anything... Well, you know, I'm like, I don't think Jesus has done anything for me. Well, I'd say this. Write down in big letters, He forgave me of all my sin. Nothing trumps that one anyways, church. In fact, if He didn't do anything else, that one alone would be enough for Him to qualify of all of our praise and worship and amazement and awe for the rest of our lives on this earth. But really, I want you to think about how Jesus has changed your life, how he's touched you, how he's touched the lives of those around you. Write it down so we can praise his name and thank him for all he has done. I'll be back up after the song to close us in prayer.